0: Welcome to Season 2 of the Something Forum by Echo Co., a podcast where we talk about digital and organizational transformation, innovation, and nonprofits, and hope you learned something along the way. For this series, we welcome Dr. Rita Fennelly Atkinson, Senior Director of Credentials at Digital Promise. During this series, we'll talk about digital credentials, the ethics of data, Equitable research and serving historically and systematically excluded learners. And now, your host, Andy Vanderland.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Something Forum. I'm here with Rita from Digital Promise, and we've been talking about micro credentials. How to build products that are beyond inclusive, but really focus on center the learner, the people who are using digital promise to build products that are impactful and helpful to them. Um, and now we're in our pop quiz section. Welcome back, Rita. Thank you for having me here. It has been my pleasure. So I thought when we did our like, pre-chat, you talked about data um, and digital's promise prioritization of ethical, responsible data practices. So I thought maybe we could talk about that a little bit in this section, um, if that's cool with you. I'd love to. Can you start by giving maybe like a high-level blurb on digital promises point of view when it comes to your user's data? And if you have a, you know, your personal point of view that I assume aligns with digital promises. <laughs> but
2: <laughs> So um, our... Uh, our view on data, uh, especially when it comes to digital credentials. Um, and it's actually kind of one of the kind of reasons why it was built the way it is, is that uh, the learner owns the data. Uh, so kind of going back to um, our earlier conversation about like what credentials are, you know, like your, your typical things are kind of like, your the examples I gave were like your driver's license or your high school diploma or mm-hmm. your college degree, those types of things. But you don't own, technically, those credentials, right? Um, mm-hmm. The the state owns your license. They can revoke it at any time. Um, mm-hmm. your, um, your college transcripts, for example, you have to request them from the institution, right? Um, so usually, if you have a job where you have to prove that you have that degree, uh, or something you have to pay, right? <laughs> to
1: Just crazy. Ask. We already paid tuition. Yeah. <laughs> your,
2: your transcript sent over so that someone can verify that you indeed earn this degree. So uh with digital credentials, uh the great thing about it is that the learner owns that credential. So once they receive it, they can basically share it however and with whomever they like. Uh so what's uh that is an important aspect of the conversation about data so what that means for us is that we want to ensure that that uh, digital credential is always uh, available um so even um so if anyone has ever earned um any type of digital credential and one of the more common ones that i can think of is for example like the google um for uh, education um, certificate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I earned those many years. Mine has expired <laughs> already, right? <laughs> but, but there's still something that exists that says that I earned it at one point. Um, so even if, if the uh, credential expires, uh, there's still a way to verify that at one point I earned it and that it was valid, right? Uh, so we really try and make sure that the, that the data is there Uh, and available for the learner to share share however they want. Uh, And then also, um, we really believe in not sharing any data uh, or collecting unnecessary data without Mm -hmm. consent. And I'll give you a few examples. So uh, our platform specifically, no one has to create an account to view what we have um, Mm -hmm. available publicly. So if someone wants to explore our micro-credentials, for example, you just go on there and you can just start poking around. Um, You're welcome obviously to create an account, um, but you don't need to, to look at anything that we have. You only have to create an account once you are ready to apply and submit for a micro-credential. So that's the first thing is we don't require (laughs) people uh, to give us data in order to um, explore our content the second thing is once they do create an account um, we are very careful with the data that we collect so we only require the minimum information in order to be able to issue that credential Um, learners are welcome to fill out a user profile that includes more data if they're willing to share it Um, and they have the option to uh, not have that information shared with others As they see fit. Um, So we really give them control over how their data is used Mm -hmm. and um, you know we try to honor that um, and you know the spirit of that. So we we don't release information about our learners um, in any way. Uh, We work with uh, our issuers uh, for them to either um, secure consent from learners or enable Mm -hmm. the teachers if they you know, um, need certain data from the population that they're working with, Um, but uh, we don't uh, require it. And I think that's really important because there's uh, so much information that's being collected about people. And um, we wanna make sure that learners always have that control um, to the greatest degree possible.
1: I wish all of the places I interacted were that way. I don't trust the whole data thing. I mean, we can't trust anyone with it, right? And I do think we should have control over it, but that's a whole other piece. I have so many (laughs) follow-up questions. What is essential data? How do you define what essential data is or determine what you consider essential data?
2: Well, you know, that that really varies. Uh, So in terms and, and I want to acknowledge that the landscape is, is changing um, a lot uh, when it comes to digital credentials. So uh, the, that information um, could be evolving or what, what is required mm-hmm. could be evolving. Yeah. Um, so currently, at minimum, we need to have um, some, you know, basically a name. And then um, something like an email address or something like that uh, to have uh, to be able to issue a digital badge. Now, um, I want to contextualize this <laughs> because um, we're we currently mainly offer micro credentials um, for things like um, many of them are educator facing. Um, So someone can get a credential um, saying that, you know, they know how to use a specific type of technology with a specific type of pedagogy or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really kind of discrete skills. Now, someone is issuing um, a a micro-credential, for example, that is certifying them um, for uh, something that has a lot of standards, so for example, Um, If we were issuing a a digital badge for a teaching license or something like a commercial driving license or something that has a standards body, then uh, you have to collect a lot more data to ensure that you are the person who is receiving the credential is the person who did the work and who says that they are right. That's why there, there's so many, so many checks. So, um, so I want to recognize that it's, it's not just like an arbitrary decision (laughs) of like, well, we only collect this. And, you know, we want to make sure that uh, people have access to their uh, credential continually. So, mm-hmm. one of one of the things that I think is really important um, right now, and I think it's it's a huge issue in ed tech, is uh, email addresses. For example, I was just going to ask about those. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, one of the most common things that happens, and I've experienced this as a as a learner myself frequently, um, and I used to work in K twelve education. So. Uh, or even when you work at an organization, right? A lot of times you have to use the email um, because your organization is providing you access to mm-hmm. an ed tech product or service or something, right? So the only way you can access it is with your you know, domain-specific email address. Um, yeah,
1: for like their school or something. Exactly. Or
2: um, but what happens when you earn a credential using an email address tied to a workplace or school, and then you leave that school or workplace and you no longer yeah. have access to that um, email address or able to access that inbox to, to verify it. So that is one of the biggest things and uh, that we're kind of thinking about is how to ensure that learners can uh, use multiple email Mm -hmm. addresses, um, or use other ways of, of connecting the digital credential to their identity. Um, so that way they can have perpetual access to their Mm -hmm. credentials and that they don't lose them, um, in any way, shape or form. And I think, you know, now that, using email addresses for for those types of things has become so common, I think it's something that a lot of people are thinking about. Yeah,
1: for sure. One of our other partners, Ed Tech Folk, uh, has a similar like question, because sometimes the educators will be learning something on their own account, but then the school will hire this organization to do a whole thing at their school, and how do we connect those two things? Um, it's a question. Cause they also don't want to always share their personal emails and all that stuff.
2: Yes. <laughs> I was
1: also wondering, maybe this isn't such a, I don't know. We'll just see. I'm just going to ask. We'll see where it goes. I recently applied for a library card and it said my, asked for my email, asked me to verify but they weren't required fields. Um, I did put them in, but cause I knew it was related to something else, but then on the confirmation screen, it's like, if you didn't give us your email, make sure you save this number. And I was like, oh, it was a really interesting <laughs> moment of like, not everyone's going to have an email, not everyone's going to share. It, so how do I keep my access to my library card if I can't reference my email? And I thought that was a really interesting approach. It was like, make sure you save this screenshot. Um, but also if it comes to People who don't have emails, like they might be populations that don't have like access to Gmail all the time or whatever, Mm -hmm. like making sure they still have access to some of the tools Um, and their credentials. In my case, my library card. I don't know. I hadn't really thought about like not having an email, but there are people who don't um, and might actually want to keep access to the work they're doing
2: yeah and it's it's hard i mean i know there's times you know when you sign up for things you sometimes get those you know save your 10 security keys Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. and you're like okay <laughs> And then of course, when you need them, you have no idea where you put no them. No idea. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure.
2: So it's like, oh, which, which notebook is it in or which? Right. Stuff?
1: Yeah. Where did I hide it in my house? Yeah, for sure. I know.
2: <laughs> and it's so, it's so weird. I'll, I can actually tell you a funny story. So, uh, when, one time I, I thought I had, uh, lost my apple watch um i was on an international flight and it had fallen off and i didn't know where where it was right but also first thing you do is i thought it was gone and thankfully it was returned to me but you know the first thing i'm doing is going and you know getting it to wipe and everything yeah yeah and i was on a plane with wi-fi so i was able to do some of it but yeah. it was weird, and it really kind of made me realize how, especially if you have limited access to Wi-Fi or you know even cell service, because obviously mm-hmm. I didn't have cell service. It kept asking me to verify my account um, with like the verification code that they send you through your phone, oh, which no. I couldn't yeah. get because it wasn't um, like an iMessage. So it was, I was caught in this loop of, of, you know, because thankfully I had done all the right things and had all the multi-factor authentication and, uh, and, you know, making sure that, you know, someone couldn't just hack without like having to go through some barriers, but situation where I had limited access to Wi-Fi Mm -hmm. and cell service and that breaks down really fast. (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
1: for all of my bank accounts it's like, text me a code or call me. What if I don't have a phone? Like, I can't do either of those things Mm -hmm. then. So that's a really good point about, like, the barriers to access and how we're just, like, aren't thinking about big groups of the population that don't have cell phones or aren't on an iPhone, right? (laughs) Mm Okay, that's good. And I'm glad you got your watch back. That would have been a really stressful moment. (laughs) (laughs) We have been sold that data is often a means to more revenue, whether mm-hmm. that's, you know, in one instance, it's selling user data, which most nonprofits are not doing, um, mm-hmm. at least the ones that we work with at Echo. But it is a more common way. It's like marketing, understanding our users and getting access to them so we can give them more of our products and services. How do you? sort of reconcile those things because obviously digital promise wants to reach more people but you don't want to use the data to do it like their personal data um how can we talk like what can nonprofits think about when they also want to be like yeah come work with us we want you to have access to all these really important helpful services we provide but we also don't want to collect all the information from you and put them into whatever programs we're using
2: i love that question so much (laughs) 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 So what we do is, uh, so one unique thing about us is that um, we, um, the way that we do our work is that Mm -hmm. we sort of bring the expertise about how to design high quality competency-based micro-credentials. And we partner with other organizations who are essentially the subject matter experts of uh, whatever it is that they want to create a, a micro-credential on. Mm. So it's it's a very deep collaborative partnership. Um, in many of these partnerships uh, that we have, um, so we're working with a partner organization, and uh, they often have uh, a group of people that they are specifically creating these micro-credentials for. So uh, for example, we have uh, one school district um, that we have a really great relationship with and Mm -hmm. um, they create a lot of micro-credentials specifically for their staff. And so uh, when we're working with partners like this, we often do uh, pilot studies. And Mm. so what we do is uh, in the first you know, a few micro credentials that we create, we um, design a pilot to solicit feedback from the learners. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's, it's sort of like user research, but it's a little bit uh, more extensive than that. It's, it's veering a little bit into research, but all of this, this is all done with informed consent. So mm-hmm. people okay. are asked to participate. Um, they know, why they are participating and why they were asked to participate. We always advocate for um, anyone who is participating in pilot studies to be compensated um, Mm -hmm. in some way, shape, or form, uh, which obviously can vary depending on what um, partner organizations have the ability to do. But we try and make sure that people are compensated for providing their expertise. And uh, we take all that feedback and um, we, uh, we usually have an agreement of some type. Sometimes the uh, reports that we produce are private. So they only go to our partner organization and sometimes they're public. So if you go uh, to the Digital Promise website, uh, we actually have a bunch of reports um, that we have from past pilot studies that were designed to be publicly reported. Um, so that's one way. Um, a cool. second thing that we do is that we conduct a lot of research. Um, and so when we do research, we're, uh, we obviously go to the highest levels. Like it usually involves getting some kind of IRB uh, or, you know, something similar. There's always informed consent, um, but we invite users to share Um, our data with us. And actually, we're going to be doing a research study this year. We have a lot of uh, users on our platform who have earned a lot of micro-credentials. Like, some of them have earned as many as 30. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, holy moly. Yes. So we're really curious about what is enabling and motivating these users to you know, earn that many micro credentials. So we actually have uh, a research uh, study planned for this year to kind of explore that topic. And we're really yeah. excited yeah. about that. Because um, again, it's organic. Um, <laughs> we, we just want to know like, why? <laughs> yeah, that's great.
1: Cool. So it's like research is the input research where people, again, to the transparency, know what's happening. They're compensated for giving all of this great insights. And then you use that information to, you know, make decisions around where you go. It's not about the like, and they click from here from, well, maybe you do also use Google Analytics. <laughs> I'm not sure, but you know, that's cool. How do you get funding for this research? Like, is it mostly from the partnerships that you have with the, Organizations offering the credential—I'm not sure if I use that phrasing correctly—but you know,
2: <laughs> um, or like grants, that kind of thing. It's it's a mixed bag. Um, we um, we do get a lot of grants um, to conduct specific types of research. Uh, so uh, we are working with a lot of different partners um, on um, things that are of interest to them. Um, yeah. And also obviously to us. (laughs) And um, so uh, that is one great way Um, we, you know, because we have a platform, we do offer services. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that is uh, one way that we can uh, fund it. Um, And then of course our uh, organization also helps us fund some of these uh, really important research projects that we want to do. So, um, but yeah, I mean, if you have a really good system for it, yeah. it doesn't have to be very expensive to do it. Mm, okay. The, the biggest cost is really uh, participant, mm. um, you know, compensation in some way, yeah. shape or form. Um, and that will vary depending on what we're asking, right? A survey um, can be inexpensive, but if we're asking people, to sit with someone and talk to them for an hour um, and give us really deep insights, we wanna make sure that that we compensate them in a way that shows how much we value their contribution. Um, Especially when we're talking about historically and systematically excluded learners, Mm -hmm. because a lot of times uh, people do research uh, or user studies or different things, um, and this is time that people uh, yeah. are using to share insights with us. And so we strongly believe that, you know, if we can't compensate someone in uh, for their time and the expertise that obviously we're valuing because yeah. we wouldn't be asking for it if we didn't, <laughs> Then yeah. uh, then we shouldn't be asking them to do that. <laughs> so that's uh, a really good point yeah it's
1: also kind of a flip from I think how we often talk about compensating people we're like we want to use compensation as a way to recruit them and get them to participate which isn't the same I mean the output is the same money to people or whatever the compensation thing is but the like feelings around it is different for that than your time is valued. we're paying you for your expertise versus we just need people right I think that the feeling there is different and um, which is important even if everyone's still getting $25 gift card for whatever
2: yeah and I think it also has to do a mindset I think sometimes mm-hmm. uh you know <laughs> i I don't know how exactly how to say this, but I feel it's sort of analogous to the oh you'll you get you'll get compensated in exposure type of thing. Like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> then, oh you're 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 getting compensated because we think you're cool enough for us to like uh we want to talk to you and, and that should make you yeah. feel special, you know, type of thing. <laughs> <And> <laughs> And and it's actually one of uh, one of those elements that's uh, really really important um, in academic research, especially mm-hmm. when we're um, talking about uh, groups of people that people uh, want to get their um, you know insight on, is mm-hmm. that person that you are interviewing is an expert in. The experiences that they've had. So, whether it's been positive, good, or neutral, there's very specific things that either have enabled them or Mm -hmm. that have uh, been barriers for them. And that information is valuable to you. And they are experts in that case. And so, you should be compensating them the way you would. Compensate a consultant or someone else in the field if when you want their expertise on something. And so I think really um, looking at your users as experts of your product is, uh, is a mindset that I think you need to adopt to really lean into that. Yeah,
1: I think that's a really cool mindset shift that I'm going to put on my computer of sticky notes. I have several old computers that are just like in my closet because I don't, I don't know. Just like, I don't want to recycle them. I'm just going to get one out and put sticky notes on it.
2: I was going to ask. I'm, I'm like, to... how are you going to see your screen? I'm just going to get an old one that doesn't
1: work. It's going to be really space efficient, let me tell you. We, we
2: need to start using either Google Keep or, yeah. or, or Notes.
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I should do. Don't tell other people, but I'm not like that into tech. I like the physical stuff. <laughs> Everyone listening to podcasts. Um, one last question. As we wrap up this section, do you ever get pushback? Maybe that's not the right word. Mm hopes and dreams from like people who are reporting on grants or like a marketing person or marketing team to be like no 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 we really like, could you please just ask these questions and get this data from users or it's like the whole organization like totally on board you guys are all on the same page when it comes to the data piece
2: uh i think that's part of the planning process um mm. I, and they and I, again this comes to like starting you know with the end in mind yeah. is you have those conversations early on so you know, if we're doing a specific, you know, uh, study or engaging in anything, we know it's because we want to achieve these goals mm-hmm. and, um, and we obviously make sure that it aligns with our, our mission and vision as well. Uh, yeah. so, uh, and I think one of the reasons a lot of people like to partner with us is because, is because we do bring that equity mindset, mm-hmm. um, and so, um, but yeah, like anything else, it's important to ask those questions early on and make sure that there's consensus. Yeah. Um, and if you do it, it's, it's really easy, um, to, to have those, you know, to make sure everyone ends up happy. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Get that like baseline, same page thing set up early. So the expectations mm-hmm. are clear and there aren't if there are requests later and be like, no, remember we agreed to this thing. And this is why, um, great. Well, Rita, this was really helpful. I learned a lot about data. I think our listeners will have really cool things to think about and take away to their organizations, um, including a whole mindset shift.
2: Me too. I hope that, uh, people find this interesting. I have no doubt that they will.
1: We'll see you guys on the next one.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Something Forum. Tune in next week as we continue our series with Dr. Rita Fennelly Atkinson. Our executive producer and host is Andy Vanderland. I'm Melissa Huntley, our technical producer and editor. The music you hear in this episode is Something About Something by Sarah, the instrumentalist. This podcast is produced by Echo & Co., a digital agency sending creativity on a mission.